Hey everybody, it is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to this week's show. Now, it's not very often that I bring someone back on the show that I've interviewed previously. Now, the main reason for that is I try and get absolutely everything I can get out of them during the interview, and there's no reason for them to come back on the show. Unless, unless they come up with some new thinking, a new book even, maybe some stuff that I think is gonna add value to you guys, my audience, and in that case, I have no problem getting them back. So today, I am pleased to say that we have such a situation. My good friend, Adam Coffey, is back on the show. Now, you remember Adam. He wrote two amazing books. One of them is The Private Equity Playbook, which I think is pretty much the best book out there about private equity. And having spent over 10 years in that industry, I think I'm pretty, pretty well-versed to be able to say that. His other book, The X Strategy Playbook, is brilliant. And today we are talking about his new book, which is called Empire Builder, The Road to a Billion. Now, what I like about this particular topic is that Adam has written a book that goes through all the things that he had to experience, all the things that he had to do to build a high value business. One that starts from, let's say, you know, pretty, pretty small foundations, actually, you know, trying to get to your first 100K in revenue all the way up to a nine figure and dare I say it, a billion dollar valuation. You know, and I can help entrepreneurs. I want to change those odds. I want you to be one of the 7% that get to a million, one of the 4% that get to 10 million, and then let's scale on up to 100 million. And so I wrote this book to talk literally about how, go, how to go from zero to a billion dollars, what those stages look like, what the keys to success are at each stage. So there's a few concepts today that we're gonna cover that I used to use actually in my days of private equity, and there are a few concepts that are new. But what I love about this conversation, not only is Adam just a fun person to speak with and to spend time with, is that there is a lot of practical things here that you can be thinking about and applying in your business. So this is not just about exiting, it's not just about private equity, it's about how you scale and the different ways that private equity scales, which as I've said on the show for many, many weeks now, many, many months, even maybe years, is an important thing that you need to know as a business owner. Entrepreneurs just don't, don't know where they're going. They don't have a good handle on the business. They're trying to figure it out. And so I try to help them figure it out more efficiently. So get your pen and paper out, get ready to write a heap of notes. Adam always delivers a heap of value. Welcome back to Scale Up with Nick Bradley, Adam Coffey. Hey, everybody. It is Nick Bradley here. Welcome to Scale Up. And today is going to be an action-packed episode because I have on the show my good friend and someone who's actually been on the show before. And I don't normally have people back on the show, right? So this is a bit of a unique experience, but he's such a, an inspiration in the space we play. He's written three amazing books, one of which we're about to talk about today. And he is an absolute legend when it comes to scaling, growing value and exiting companies. Welcome to the show, Adam Coffey. Nick, it's good to be back. Hello to everybody out there. It's it's like I'm loving this. It's like old friend, you know. It's like I, I'm, you know, I got to write books like every six months and keep on coming back and saying hi to you. More importantly, well, someday 
let's do something together. We, we, we should definitely do that. I think, I think we've got some good uh, background and experiences and, and a, a very similar philosophy in terms of what we're trying to do and help entrepreneurs and business owners. But it's great having you back. Uh, last time we had you on the show, we were talking about um, your latest book, which was the Exit Strategy Playbook. We talked a lot about um, the Private Equity Playbook, which is my personal favorite. But now you've written a new book, which is called Empire Builder. Um, take us through that. Why, why this book? You know, there's a story behind this book, like all my books, but the, the, this one, you know, it started out as a 350 page or PowerPoint slide deck. Wow. That's I, a long one. <laughs> I, it was a two, it was a two day in-person seminar in Dallas that I held last February. And I knew it was going to be a book. The audience didn't know it was going to be a book. So they were my test, my, my, my test audience. And I was, you know, refining material. But what happened here on this one, like all my books, it's, it's usually it's people reaching out to me that kind of stimulates. Like I had in my mind, you know, here's five books I'm going to write. And then people are reaching out to me or I'm seeing a need. And when I'm seeing the need, it's then it's like, okay, I got to write about that. And so I was doing some research for this this seminar and you know some some statistics just hit me in the face you know well, and so these statistics are US based I, I don't have them for the UK or, or for the whole world but in the US there's 33 million small businesses and and only 7% of them ever get to a million dollars in revenue and only 4% of the 7% ever get to $10 million of revenue. These 33 million companies in the U.S. represent 99.9% .9 of all companies. They employ half the country's workforce. Mm -hmm. And only 40% are profitable. And 50 plus percent will be out of business in the first you know, five years. And, and so as I'm digging into all these numbers, I'm like, good Lord, why is it so hard for people to find success in business, I mean, I, I'm a guy who's built billion-dollar, you know, empires, and so I, I, I'm like, I, I want to dig into this. I want to, I want to dig in. I want to get under the hood because I think I know the the secrets to success, and you know, and I can help entrepreneurs. I want to change those odds. I want you to be one of the seven percent that get to a million, one of the four percent that get to ten million, and then let's scale on up to a hundred million. And so I wrote this book to talk literally about how go how to go from zero to a billion dollars, what those stages look like, what the keys to success are at each stage, and then lay it out in a layman's, you know, layman's terms as I do in all my books mm -hmm. so that people can follow it. And, and I want, I want you to win. I want you to, you know, so I'm here to help entrepreneurs. That's what I've dedicated the rest of my career to. It could have almost so, been a memoir for you, couldn't it, Adam, in terms of like the journey to a building, because you've done that multiple times. But one thing I want to sort of jump into is, is there's a paradox here, right? Or a contradiction, right? This idea that, you know, you become an entrepreneur most likely because there's the idea there's freedom there, there's wealth there. There's the fact I'm not going to have, you know, a boss, I have independence, but yeah. a lot of business owners get trapped, right? A, they're not profitable or they never get to certain thresholds which allow freedom. So so take us through this because I, I think this is super important. I mean, when I said, why did you write the book? I think sometimes it's, um, if we come from private equity, right? And there's lots of big deals and we talk about big numbers and you've been in, involved in multiple of those, those type of um, situations. To then step back and sort of look at the foundations can be quite a yeah. stretch. You know what I mean? Well, you know, as I was doing this research, you know, something else happened to me personally in, in life. Uh, so I was writing this seminar and I'm digging into all these statistics. Well, then on the other side of the pendulum, uh, a, a 
billionaire friend reached out and it's like, Adam, I, I've got a company. You know, I have an NDA, so I, I can't, I can't talk names. And, and he's, he's like, you know, so he's been through three CEOs in a five-year period. He's looking for his fourth. And, and he's like, Adam, you know, and I've got a company that everybody in the country knows the name. You know, most people in the world know the name and it's lost its way. And, you know, how do I fix world hunger? And, and, and I'm like, you know, I don't need to fix, you know, 6,000 trucks. I only need to fix one. And so, you know, I'm programmed, you know, to get to the unit level economics and even on world hunger where, where people have failed because they're trying to fix this behemoth from the top down. I'm like, I just got to peel back the layers of the onion, get to the common, you know, unit level economic, the lowest common denominator. And we have to go back and we have to build a successful small business. In or and once I do, I can then replicate that across all the other, you know, components and pieces. Uh, uh, that's how you fix an empire. And so I, I was, you know, I, I started off, you know, so to, to start Empire Builder, we're starting from scratch. So let's let's assume we're starting from scratch. You know, I, I, I share some personal lessons in there that I, I learned from Warren Buffett you know, about, um, in, you know, and Warren said, don't invest in something you don't, you know, uh, never invest in something you don't understand. And, and I, I flipped that around and I was like, invest in what you know. And so I, I usually run through exercises with entrepreneurs and I say, what are your skills? What are your passions? What types of companies or industries would benefit from your skills, your passions, and where could we tie all this together? And, you know, having, you know, having some knowledge and some skills and some interest and, and passion, because we all need passion in what we're doing, then it's not work. It's fun. You know, mm -hmm. then we can start focusing on, 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 on a, building an empire. And then I go to, you know, the next step, let's focus on needs, not wants. So we have economic cycles in the world, you know, and, and uh, you know, if, if there's a, a downturn in the economy, you know, I, I have needs and wants. I want, you know, stuff for my monster truck. I want big mud tires. You know, my wife wants a new outfit because we're going out on Friday night, you know, and, you know, I need certain things in life. You know, when, uh, when it's raining out, if there's a hole in my roof and there's water pouring on my head, I need to fix that. You know, it's like, I can't get by without that. And in a down economy, when the economy goes south, we can delay spending on, on wants indefinitely, but we can't delay spending on needs indefinitely. So I tell people, find your passions, find your skills, find companies and industries that will benefit from it. Now think about needs versus wants. Focus on businesses that, that are needs-based, not wants-based. Next up, can I find something that's needs that includes recurrent revenue streams mm -hmm. yep. versus project-based? Because projects can be delayed during a recession. But contracted recurring revenue much more stable and so I, I use like i can use like a pest control company as an example i live in texas there are giant bugs out here you could put a saddle on and ride around town and go yeah you oh, come know, on and, adam i'm so, from australia mate we have massive spiders that are the size of like your yes kid. you do and some <laughs> of them are coming here you know and and, and on container ships and, and so it's like I need to focus on needs, not wants, recurrent revenue, something where like I'm going to sign a contract and on the first of the month, I'm going to hit somebody's credit card and just the revenue just pours in every month like clockwork. I've had pest control contracts here, you know, for the last three years. I don't even remember what the, the heck the name of the company is. It's like they're just hitting my credit card. <laughs> they're coming to spray once in a while. And I'm like, I'm good. I got nothing in the house. Life is good. Right. So needs versus wants 
recurrent revenue versus recurring. And then once we've got this all figured out, now we got to figure out, so why is it so hard to get out of the gates? And, and uh, most entrepreneurs do not focus on what I call unit level economics. And so this is one of the concepts it, I wanted to get into, because I, I heard you speaking about this and I'd love to hear your definition of this. Okay, so unit level economics, it's the smallest common denominator of any business. So if I'm a real estate investor, you know, and I have single family housing rentals, then my unit level economics is a rental property. If I'm a, an apartment, you know, investor, then it's usually apartment, you know, complexes, they go by door. So my unit level economics are door, you know, can I generate enough rent to cover my costs to, you know, to, to service that revenue? You know, and and so the unit level economics there. If I'm a product-based company, it's one product. You know, it's one widget, whatever I manufacture. And in a service company, it's typically one truck, one crew, one service event. And so where I think most entrepreneurs go south is they don't truly understand what the unit level economics are, and they don't know how to successfully scale a business. And and in the beginning, you know, I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs have told me over the years. If I only get bigger, Adam, I'll figure out how to make money. And that's the wrong answer. It's like, if you want to build an empire, if you want to someday build a billion dollar business as I have, it starts by building a successful $100,000 business, a successful first million dollar business. And remember in this country, 93% of entrepreneurs never get to a million in revenue. And so I want to make it a mathematical certainty. So in the book, I use a mythical landscape maintenance, you know, contracting company. And so it's, it's my unit level economics are one truck and one crew, two person crew. I've got a lawnmower, a blower, a weed whacker, and these people drive around and they cut gardens, you know, and they trim bushes and they take care of your landscaping needs, you know, and they go house to house to house, you know, and they, they, they do this repetitively. And it's like, how much revenue can one crew bring in? And then what is the cost of the crew to bring in that revenue and the cost of all their operating and material supplies? And I apply this thing in the book I call the 30-20-10 rule. And so I, I do this to this day when a PE firm hires me to look at an investment and, and it's a service business. They want me to opine on you know what I think about it. I always apply the 30-20-10 rule. So I look at the unit level economics. I've got this crew you know, and they generate revenue and they have costs. I need to have at least 30% gross profit, you know, at the, at the gross profit line. Yep. So revenue, it's service 30%. Next, I look at SG&A, my cost to acquire customers, pay myself as an entrepreneur, answer the phones, buy, you know, computers, do all that stuff we have to do in the back office. That needs to be less than 20%. So if I get 30 plus percent gross profit, less than 20% SG&A, I'm guaranteed at least 10% profit at the bottom. And that's the 30, 20, 10 rule. Is this, is this for you minimal viable business? Like in terms to me, of- To me it is, Got it's it. minimal. You know, and so I invest in businesses all the time that have much better numbers than that, but I apply the 30, 20, 10 rule to say, is it minimally acceptable? If it is, you know, Nick, you know, here's the cool part. So I take a million in revenue, and I divide it by how much revenue per crew. And in this landscape maintenance business, I'm pulling the numbers out, it's like around 198,000. So I needed six crews to get over a million dollars in revenue. I'm gonna have $1.18 million in revenue with six crews. And so I build the formula 
Now, how many customers do I need for these six crews? You know, I can set up a mathematical formula for success. Then I teach the reader how to build a capital expenditure plan to get to that first million in revenue. And this is why I love service businesses, because if I want to generate, you know, that 1.18 million in revenue, and I'm going to earn 15% roughly at the, at the, at the net profit, you know, profit line, mm -hmm. uh, you know, then I, I'm going to wind up generating about $150,000 in cash flow, 160,000 in, in free cash flow. And the capital expenditures to build that business are less than 150,000. And so I have this very efficient ratio between free cash I'm generating and the cost to build, you know, call it that, that first million dollar in business. And then I teach people, okay, now let's build the same formula for 10 million in revenue. So only 7% of people get to a million, only 4% of those get to 10 million. Let's just make two simple mathematical formulas based on unit level economics that Give us the, the 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 exact framework that we need. You know, I know how many customers I need, how many trucks I have to buy, how many people I have to hire, how many you know customers I got to find, you know, and sign contracts with, blah blah blah. And it's like I I just I take the hardest part of of building the business, building a billion dollar company. The hardest part, getting out of the gates, and I build that into a mathematical formula that ensures success. And you know, interestingly enough, for a lot of people out there who are listening, they already own a business. And so you can do this with an existing business too. You can peel back your, your onion to the layers and find out what are my unit level economics? Do they pass the 30-20-10 rule? Do I have something that's sound? Because if it works small, it will work better big. And if it doesn't work small, it's not going to work big. I'm just going to amplify the problems that I've got you know, in this business. And, it's the and so saying, yeah. Uh, it's the saying, it's best to kill the, kill the monster when it's small, right? <laughs> because Absolutely. the problems exacerbate. Yeah. It's, so it, it's better to lose a dollar on something small than to have to lose a thousand know, dollars on something bigger or a million dollars. You know? and, and so it's, it's all about unit level economics because as it gets bigger, then I'm going to create operating leverage. You know, buying 50 trucks for my landscape crews, you know, I'm going to get a better deal when I buy 50 than when I buy six or, or one. And so as I get bigger my profit will actually improve because I will find operating leverage. Um, but, you know, it's, we need to make business success a mathematical formula so then we can attack, you know, the mathematical formula. And I think too oftentimes right. entrepreneurs just don't, don't know where they're going. They don't have a good handle on the business. They're trying to figure it out. And so I try to help them figure it out more efficiently with time. Two thoughts on this. I want to play around with this because I think it's an important concept. I think sometimes... Um, particularly when businesses are at an early stage, they focus a lot on their vision, right? You know, the idea of what this thing looks like three years out, but then they forget that the the way to do that is to to get into the granular detail, right? So that's one observation I've seen. Happens all the time. Now, question for you on this though. Have you found any uh, businesses, industries, or stages where this doesn't hold true? One that comes to mind for me is kind of like the, you know, last decade, last 20 years of kind of tech businesses, where they have, they're so capital intensive, they have to pump money in and they're not profitable. I hate these businesses, by the way, just for the record. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I find them very frustrating because they're kind of trying to catch something in the future that may hopefully appear, but there's so much risk there because you're relying on all these external factors that may or may not come true. What's your view and on that? Well, so I, I, think, I think you're right. You know, f f fundamentally, so if you hear me talk about businesses, 
they're not very sexy. You know, I'm talking about landscape maintenance and pest control, HVAC and, and, HVAC that stuff. and plumbing. It's like, these are boring industries to most people. And I think a lot of young people, um, especially that they want, they want to create the new tech thing and they want to become a billionaire. And so they're swinging for the, for, for the fences. This is VC investing at its finest. And most, most, most businesses are going to fail and they're, 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 they're just not going to be successful. And so I, I, I tend to go for call it businesses that are less, less sexy. They don't have mm -hmm. the sex appeal, but they focus on, you know, their needs based and people need it. And the fundamentals are simple for me to master. And I can, I can build these companies all day long and be far more successful. So, well, also you know, they're attractive mass. They're massively attractive to private equity, right? And I think I, I saw you say something like, uh, I think it was five trillion of uh, undeployed capital in private equity right now, probably growing, you know, as we speak. And something like fifty percent of all transactions tend to be private equity transactions in some way, shape, or form, anyway. So, if you yes. have the ambition to exit a company, you know, it's more likely going to land in that space, which tend to be these businesses we're talking about, right? Well, and I think in, in the world of venture capital and startups and technology, people are just pre-programmed. Okay, there's going to be investors for every round of capital that I need. And it's not important for me to make money in this stage. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and, and so I, I think it's delusional. And I, I, I think it's regimented. And it's structured delusional, you know, investing in in my mind. And, so and dangerous I, I feel, and dangerous yeah, as yeah. well, I think. For, for, for the people who think that that's the pathway, I've got two businesses I'm working with currently. One of them, again, won't get into the detail. One of them is very close to not existing because it's it's hasn't managed its capital structuring very well. The other and, one- and Unfortunately, it, Nick, I, I think it, it also teaches entrepreneurs that it's okay to not make money and it's okay to lose money because yeah. there's always going to be someone there to hand me more money while I'm working on my next best idea. I, I, and I think I 100% agree that that's not not the way that traditional or even even good business works certainly in my world and um, and just for a message here for people listening to this who have tech businesses it doesn't mean that you're doomed it just means that if you focus some of the strategies that adam's talking to and focus on profitability i can't tell you the number of times i i talk to these businesses and have this conversation and if you listen to that and actually take in some of the actions that we're talking about here you'll be in a much better place and you can apply it to any industry as you said so it's it's not you don't have to be a, a business that's not sexy. You can be a sexy business and still apply these principles. You know, can I get the unit level economics right? Can I be profitable small? If I can, what I'm trying to do is take risk out of success. You know, and so, yes, you can be successful, you know, in that tech startup if you are the one that hits the home run. But I want more and more people to find success. And so I'm trying to help them yeah. take the risk out of the equation. And and what I what I find is, is that, you know, if we can build a successful small business focused on needs, not wants, recurrent revenue streams, then I can guarantee you, you can scale it to a you know very large size, you know, in a, a relatively short period of time. So let's talk about the journey um, from that, from from the let's call it the identity, if you like, or the skills or the experience of that founder. So in your in your world, right, when you come into these businesses. How do you see that they have to change? You know, it might be they have to learn different skills. They have to adopt a different mindset. What's that journey look like? You know, so I, I think because it is rare to be successful in the first place, only 7%, only yeah. 4%, 1 million, 10 million. In order to get that level of success, uh, you know, uh, entrepreneurs, you know, in, in 
not to not to sound funny, but it, it's like they have to be anal retentive control freaks. You know, they they have to micromanage everything so that there's a repeatability to I'll call it the the minutia of each transaction because that's what's required that uniformity that that repeatability that's what's required to be successful at those first kind of levels but in the 58 companies that I bought and average size called around 30 million in, in revenue what I found was that entrepreneurs who beat the odds and become successful they tend to top out at about 30 20 to 30 million dollars in revenue depending on the industry and what they run out of is bandwidth and okay. they're control freaks and they've been successful and that success you know has driven them to this certain plateau and i i call it the glass ceiling and if an entrepreneur can learn how to change their mindset and their behaviors when they're topping out then 30 million to 100 million comes quick and so let me let me give you an example of that or explain that yeah so someone who's at 30 million they're topping out, no more bandwidth, anal retentive control freak. You know, they're the first chair player in every section of the orchestra. They've got their arms around everything. If they can learn how to let go and become the conductor of the orchestra and trust and empower other people, get in the business of articulating the vision, creating the management systems and measuring systems and start to manage process instead of minutiae then if they can find that second gear, the journey from 30 to 100 million of, uh, of revenue happens very quickly. And that's what enables, when I'm on that path, that little adjustment, you know, finding that second entrepreneurial gear. I had to be control freak to get out of the gates. Now I got to learn how to let go, empower and manage process and, and inspire and articulate. You know, and if I can do that, I can build an empire and I can go to places that very few people on the planet have ever tread. And, and that's all the way through the different stages of growth to a billion. So what, just to play with that a little bit, what, what would you advise someone like who's kind of, you know, that resonates what you just said, right? I am that guy. I am the control freak. You know, how do they change gears? So I, th I think for some, first there has to be the recognition that this is a problem and I, I call it the unintentional arrogance of success, you know, because the <laughs> numbers are so stacked against me. Once I've hit that kind of 30 million mark, it's like, I'm feeling pretty good about myself, the business that I built, and I don't think I need help. And so there's this, you know, this arrogance of success. It's accidental. If we can recognize that we're, hey, we're plateauing. I need to keep growing. I need to learn. Maybe I work with a coach. Maybe I work with someone like me who's been there before or someone like you, you know, and, and we've made that gear shift. Um, maybe it's peer groups, you know, it's, it's, but I have to first recognize that this is a potential hindrance to my, to my continued success. And it's, I have not arrived at a destination. I've arrived at a plateau and it's a very successful one, but now I need to learn how to get to a different kind of behavior in order to enable myself to continue to grow. So I think recognize yeah. the problem first get some help around you, you know, potentially some coach, you know, or peer group or somebody that you can, you can bounce these things off of that understand what you're going through. Yeah. And, and I think, um, and, and this kind of idea of having generally that growth mindset that actually you can adapt and change. Cause I know when we used to acquire companies in my private equity days, we would assess through the process, through the due diligence process, the aptitude 
not just the experience, yes. but the aptitude of that person to take the journey. And some you could see, some you could actually see that they, they knew that they, you know, they didn't know what they didn't know. Right. And they knew that they needed to be in different environments to grow. Others were like, you know, arms crossed, you know, in the private equity, you know, world where you're going to have a board put around you and some very successful people put around you, some very smart people. If you walk in with that attitude, you ain't going to go very far because you, you often are in that situation. Well, then you'll wind up as one of the other statistics, which is 73% of entrepreneurs who partner with private equity do not survive the first five-year hold period. Some of that is this arrogance of success. I've arrived. You just gave me a wheelbarrow full of gold. I don't need to work very hard anymore, or I'm going to retire. You know, and so I think sometimes entrepreneurs check out and they they decide I've won the championship. I don't need to go back to spring training. You know, the the you know the PE guys are are, are like, hey, you know, you just made a pile of gold. I just spent a pile of gold. I need you working harder than ever before to earn me my pile of gold. You know, so there's these 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 different issues that happen, but you know the odds are also stacked against the entrepreneur being successful with the private equity firm unless they can make this change you know yeah, and if fully they agree can, and if they can make this change and you've alluded to it then the pathway that happens beyond that is incredible so we talked about you know the 100 million threshold but your book says to a billion so yeah. once you start to get up to those high those high eight early nine figures how do you what, what's the playbook to scale to a billion so along the path to 100 million we're going to pass through our first potential exit point and uh, and our second potential exit point you know kind of the 4 million in ebitda mark the mm -hmm. the 10 million dollar in ebitda mark and I, this may shock some of your listeners but I, I tell people in the book i never want to see you build a billion dollar empire by yourself that's reckless um let's 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 break that down for a second somewhere along the way you know, I want to see entrepreneurs diversify their asset base to actually ring the bell, sell the company for the first time and go from being a majority shareholder to a minority shareholder. And I know you got people out there yelling at their at their computer screen right now or their, their earbuds saying, oh, that's crap. It's not crap. You know, I want you to get asset diversification to protect your family against an unknown risk. We have too much risk in our company as it gets bigger. And I also want to point out to you, you know, some some people tell me what well, yeah, arrogance is success again. If I'm not the controlling shareholder, no way I'm sticking around because I'm God's gift to this industry and this company. And no PE guy is going to come tell me nothing, you know, that I, I don't know. And I, and I, I remind them. Jeff Bezos, you know, arguably either one, two or three, depending on the day, you know, richest people on the planet. He only owns 10.9% of Amazon, which means somebody else owns 90%, you know, 89.1% of Amazon. And if the world's richest man is okay with being a minority shareholder and it works for him, it can work for you too. We want to bring in institutional capital because I can accelerate the pace of growth once I get that kind of scale, I'm at 100 million. I'm getting good at what I'm doing. Now I want to use M&A as a tool on a grand scale, and I'm going to need a giant checkbook. So let's bring in a partner. Let's ring the bell. Let's get our first nine-figure exit if we haven't taken it already. Put that money in the bank, roll over 30%, and now let's work with an unlimited checkbook You know that comes with our, our PE firm, our sponsor, 
And now let's accelerate the pace of growth. And, and you can really accelerate the pace of, of growth. And, and every time I'm working with an entrepreneur that's, that's second guessing whether or not they should sell me their company and join this buy and build that I'm doing, you know, I'll build a spreadsheet and I'll run two, two rows across and I'll, here's you alone. What are you growing at? Let's run that out five years. How much EBITDA do you have? What do you sell it for? Run it out to 10 years. How big are you? What do you sell it for? Now sell to me, sell to me here. And now I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to buy seven, eight companies in this whole period. I'm going to buy 15 in this whole period. Cause that's my last math of the last empire that I built. I bought 23 companies in five years. And let's see what my math looks like compared to your math. And I guarantee you, every time you build that spreadsheet, when you bring in an institutional shareholder as your partner, you will accelerate your wealth creation as well by being a minority shareholder and working with that partner, truly digging in. And a, a lot of entrepreneurs think that selling their company, you know, the, the, is, it's the end. It's, it's not. No, you know, no, you're no, selling no. your business to me. For me, it's the first rest stop on your wealth creation highway. My record selling the same company five times in 13 years. You know, we we need to bring in partners because that's the key to scaling from a hundred million to a billion. So I was um, mentored by a guy called Jonathan Klein, who was the founder of Getty Images, and I was yeah. involved in the second exit. He had one exit to private equity, second exit to private equity. I think the third one was an IPO. The fourth one was private equity. The fifth one was, was kind of a family office. And, and I know at the end, he had hardly any of the business at the end. Yeah. I'm pretty sure he cracked the billionaire stage at the second exit. Might've been the third. But and there's only 2,668 <laughs> billionaires on the planet. Well, and he so was, I mean, and, and that's a, it's a classic sort of buy and build and leverage, you know, different relationships up the chain. But I just want to come back to one thing you said, I ask a question sometimes when I'm speaking at seminars and the question is, what is your life changing number? And the second slide I have has a picture of, um, oh, what's the guy from Austin Powers, Dr. Evil with the sort of 1 billion. Yes, yes. <laughs> exactly. And I often say to people, I said, okay, what's the number? And I say, and, and someone will yell out a billion, right? Or maybe two or three. And then I put that up and I say, that wasn't the question. The yeah. question was, what's the number that changed your life? And I love what you said. Love what you said about taking chips off the table, because that number for most people that I, you know, when you speak about and you really push them is somewhere between 10 and 30 million bucks. Yeah. You know, you know and so, so 30 million um, it, it, here in the U S is what we call ultra wealthy. And, you know, and, and so I, I, I started a seminar with the statistics, you know, and that's why I knew there was 200, 2,668 billionaires on the planet and only 7% made their billion in real estate. 93% mm. made it through business. Real estate makes millionaires, business makes billionaires, but I broke it down. How many people have a million? How many people have 10 million? How many people have 30 million? And that number is shrinking as the number gets higher. And I, you know, ultra wealth here in this country, we, we call 30 million and 100 million, call, call it the nine figure net worth. You know, I, I think for, for most people, that's, that's the nirvana you know, to mm -hmm. shoot for. Billion? Hey, let's worry about a billion later. Let's get the first $100 million exit. You know, I, I'm working with an entrepreneur right now who, when I started working with him 18 months ago, had less than 2 million of EBITDA. And now he's got, you know, around 12 million of EBITDA. We're hiring a bank, we're exiting. You're looking at like $160 million exit. This is a guy who went from a company with 2 million in EBITDA, less than that, you know, just two years ago. Now he's looking at his first nine figure exit. And his goal is to build a billion dollar business in his industry. 
And it's like, that's the right, that's the kind of attitude that, that, that we need. You know, we, we don't have to be one of those 2,068. It's something to aspire to, but can we get to 30 million? Can we get to, can we get to a hundred million? I, I remember for me, you know, kind of the, the, that number changes, by the way, as we get more success. And, you know, if you ask the 20 year old Adam, what number I needed, you know, it was a whole lot less than the 37 <laughs> year old Adam. And now the 59 year old Adam would say, you know what? You know, my lifestyle requires that number to be bigger. And so I used to fly coach. Now I fly on private jets. Well, that takes a lot more money. So, yeah. well, and, and also get- back to identity, your identity changes, right? And then your confidence changes and those sort of things. And I've got, I spoke to a guy recently who did check out with a billion dollar exit or over a billion dollars he took out. And he said, to, he said, you know what? I didn't need any money for this last 10 years. Right? He made the first, he had his first hundred million a decade ago. He said, I just wanted to see if I could do it. He said, I might even yeah. just give it away because I don't need it. <laughs> yeah. Well, God bless him. And, and yes. that's where, like, you know, I, I told you, it's like I dedicated the rest of my career to trying to help entrepreneurs become successful. And so I've really developed a passion around caring about these people and their success. And, you know, and so it's like when, when, when I'm telling you, it's like, you, you, you know, consider selling your business, you know, at a certain size. I mean that because I want you to, to have security, to have financial security. And, and you know, I, I wrote an article for Forbes not too long ago, and I, I called it the rule of 130. If you take your age as a two-digit number and you add to it the percent of your net worth tied up in this illiquid thing known as your company, and you add those two numbers together, what do we have most often? I got somebody who's 50 years old, 90% of their net worth is tied up in their company. If those two numbers equal more than 130, you have too much risk. You have too much risk uh, and you need to diversify your asset base to protect your family, to protect your legacy, because bad things do happen in the world. Wars happen, yep. you know, recessions happen and pandemics happen. And you do not want to be caught on the wrong side of a, a bad event and not have enough time left in your career to recover you know, re- recover that wealth. And, you know, a young person has time, they got runway. And even if they lose it all, they know the formula for success and they can do it again. But as we get older, we not only need to be more concerned about that, but we also get conservative and we start making bad business decisions about growth and scaling. And so one of the ways that we can we can fix this is by getting our asset diversification, bringing in a partner using their checkbook and now I can be aggressive towards building a bigger business and working with my partner with a big checkbook, and I can make beautiful things happen in relatively short periods of time. Love it. Fully, fully agree, sir. Well, let's let's finish up uh, talking a little bit about private equity. It'd be fun to do that to finish off our, our fun conversation today. Um, how has, since our last chat about a year ago, how has this world of private equity changed and how do you see it changing over the next 12 months? So uh, certainly we saw deal flow slow down dramatically in 2023 in the first half. I tell people there was a game of chicken going on. Oh, yeah. And that was <laughs> was founders with, with high expectations for exit multiples, high interest rates creating a leverage gap and, and equity checks needing to be much bigger. And so the, the PE sponsors were like, I, I don't I can't pay that high multiple, leverage the debt and have the same kind of return profile I used to have. So for six months of the year, a game of chicken went on. And then slowly in the back half of the year, PE lost. Uh, Multiples stayed pretty high. 
and bigger equity checks started to be written because the cardinal sin of private equity is you you must deploy your capital. If you don't deploy your capital, then your limited partners not only didn't get to invest in the stock market or you know or, or get some return, but they were expecting double the market return from you, and you didn't even put their money to work. So when you go looking for more money, they tell you, you know, kiss off. Oh well, yeah, know, and you've taken a management fee, you know, of, of a few million bucks yes. to pay the firm principles. So <laughs> the money has to be put to work. So I think 2024, if you look at what's going on, so I, I talked to a bunch of people just in the last 24 hours about this. The expectation is interest rates will start coming down in 2024. We'll go from the U.S., a Fed funds rate of about five and a half to about four and a half. We'll get down into the threes in uh, in 2025, and we're going to normalize at a permanent rate of around two and a half percent. So I think we've seen the peak. And barring some unforeseen circumstances, also in the U.S., you've got an election year. So everybody's running for office. So nothing weird's going to happen during an election year. Interest rates are going to be coming down. Deal flow is expected to pick up dramatically. And anybody impacted by this high interest rate period, um, level playing field, the vintages of funds that were impacted will be against each other. And so returns may have been moderated, but the money has to get put to work. So what do I see? I see continued investment in private equity. It continues to outpace the stock market, you know, and just, you know, hey, I wrote the private equity playbook four and a half years ago. We were at 2.8 trillion in assets under management back then. We're over 6 trillion in assets under management right now. So it's doubled literally in the last four years, the amount of assets under management. And so that flood of money will continue. And I, I expect that, uh, you know, as, as we're also going through for baby boomers out there, you know, this is the largest transfer of wealth in human history as our parents are retiring, you know, they're passing the baton, they're selling the business, and there's going to be this massive transfer of, of, of wealth that, that takes place. And so I think it's, I, I'm bullish on, on private equity as an investment class and as an, as a, an entrepreneur who's going to be riding their coattails, using their capital, feeding them the returns that they need, taking what we want, which is wealth, you know, and, uh, and, and so I, I think it's, I, I'm very optimistic, you know, for, for what private equity will continue to deliver in uh, 24 and 25, at least. Well, if you play those numbers forward, right, and, and we've said before that, you know, a, an exit is arguably the biggest, biggest financial transaction someone's going to have in their life unless they do it multiple times, right? Um, and the percentages at the moment of private equity involvement is at least 50%. <laughs> then you would argue that private equity, because of those numbers and those metrics over the next few years, will have a higher percentage of all exits, all acquisitions that happen. So yes. understanding and it, it, it and it's, is important. And it's because of them that we actually have a market to sell our companies into. Yes. Whether we sold yeah. the private equity or not, the reason we're getting high prices is because that asset class exists. And yes. because they are, you know, they are buying 50% of the companies, they've created the demand. And so we're enjoying you know, as a generation of entrepreneurs, we're enjoying the fruits of their labor and building that industry. Indeed. So the message, the message loud and clear for everyone listening is understand, learn this space, read Adam's books, kind of look at the stuff that we're putting out there. There's a few of us kind of talking about this stuff a lot these days, but you know, if you're in that, in that zone, whatever that zone is, it could be the very beginnings of your business. It could be towards the end of, you know, creating an exit. Understanding this stuff is going to help you massively. It's been awesome, Adam, yet again. Love this. Good to have you. You know, good to see you again. Thank you to all your listeners for hanging out with us. Uh, 
you know, I, I enjoy this. I think you and I could probably uh, talk for a very long time. We should do a workshop somewhere. We should. Uh, Let's do that one day. We can definitely we do like pull a some home stuff together. Home. You know, we'll come on over to Dallas. We'll do an American <laughs> crowd. I'll come over there and we'll do a European We'll do an crowd. international play. That'd be that, good. That's and it. All... <laughs> well, listen, um, the book, the new book is called Empire Builder, The Road to a Billion by the awesome Adam Coffey. Just want to say thank you, sir, for coming on the show. Where can people reach out to you? And have you got anything coming up that people can uh, look into if they want to kind of get into any of your seminars and stuff like that? Sure. LinkedIn is where I you'll find me every day. Uh, Adam Coffey, C-O-F-F-E-Y. If you go to adamcoffey.com, I do have a series of seminars coming up in February here in Dallas. I think we're doing four days, two seminars back to back in February. So just around the corner. Um, and then I, I'm threatening uh, with JT Fox, we're going to do a European tour this summer. So potentially ah. look for me in your neck of the woods and we'll have a pint. You know, Absolutely. Well, I'll, I'll definitely look out to that. And um, and if I'm in, uh, in the world of Dallas, <laughs> which I am, often am, by the way, I'm in Dallas a few times, uh, we'll definitely connect and, uh, and have, a, have a beer or whatever else would be great. Sounds good. All right. Thank you, Adam. Uh, all the best with the rest of the book. And uh, yeah, see you soon. All right. Take care. Happy holidays. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you enjoy the show just as much as I enjoy creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me. It helps the show. Plus, it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything you heard in today's show or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now to learn about our coaching, mentoring, and mastermind programs. See you soon.